A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Welcome, listeners, to the latest episode of The Other Hand. Uh, I want to start off today's discussion, Chris, with um, Brexit, believe it or not. Um, the leader of the far-right party, Alternative for Germany, was out at the weekend um, talking about Brexit, and she was saying that Brexit presents a great opportunity for Germany and that if elected into government, she would push for a referendum on leaving the European Union. Um, so she said that Brexit referendum in the UK is a model for Germany that can make a sovereign decision like that. So that's one perspective. OK, uh, yesterday in the Financial Times, Martin Wolf had a great piece about the bitter lessons of Brexit. And he was referring to a book written by one of his colleagues called What Went Wrong with Brexit and What We Can Do About It. Um, the author is a guy called Peter Foster. I haven't read the book, so I can't comment on it. But um, Wolf's piece is very strong, I think. He, he, he started off by a bit of a discussion about populism. And he said, populism weakens institutions damages debate and excuse me and policy and is a destructive form of democracy um, he said that the brexit campaign in the uk was a populist alliance of fanatic and opportunists who mix simplistic analysis with heated rhetoric and outright lies to weaken the uk's most important economic relationship and threaten domestic stability Strong stuff about populism, and I think it's one that we should all bear in mind, uh, particularly in this country with a lot of elections over the next 15 months. Um, the argument that Foster puts in his book is that you know countries cannot be fully sovereign in trade, 
since trade involves at least one counterpart. And in the European Union, there was one, to count, one counterpart, whereas having left the European Union, there are now multiple different regulatory regimes that need to be satisfied. So in other words, um, in terms of being a major boost to UK trade, uh, Brexit certainly did a lot of damage there. And indeed, the trade flows in and out of the UK uh, back up that assertion. Um, he spoke about, Foster spoke about the European Court of Justice, the ECJ, uh, which is something that the Brexiteers had a huge problem with. Uh, but Foster simply says that this was ensuring that countries abided by the rules in the European Union that everybody signed up to. So nothing maligned there. Um, he was talking about the regulatory simplification in the European Union and that leaving the European Union just increases regulation and that it has hit small UK businesses um, disproportionately. Um, he then goes on a, an interesting discussion about sunk costs. So he says that existing businesses in the European Union, British businesses, enjoyed sunk costs. So in other words, over many years of EU membership, they'd built up capital, they'd built up knowledge, they'd built up relationships, um, and that these are the sunk costs that have been incurred to be part of the European Union. And when you leave the European Union, as Britain has done, you leave all of these investments in costs behind you, and then you have to face into the costs of creating new assets. So in other words, you have to engage in another round of sunk costs to build up the same sort of capital knowledge and relationships with your new trading partners. Um, he speaks about how leaving the European Union curtailed the movement of labour and skills. And um, he also said that one of the side effects of, or the direct effects of Brexit actually, was that it has given more freedom for UK politicians. And he's pretty scathing about how these UK politicians have actually used that freedom. They have lied about what they agreed to, for example, on the Northern Ireland Protocol. They threatened to break international law. They threatened to eliminate thousands of pieces of EU regulation. Um, I could go on, but that is a summary of Wolf's piece yesterday, which um, I, I found very, very powerful. And um, I started off by talking about what the leader of the AFD in Germany is now promising the German electorate. And bear in mind that the AFD is actually at, I think, about 24% in the German opinion polls at the moment, which is a record high. So it's, it's a frightening prospect, actually, this growth of populism around Europe. And I think Brexit is a really, really good case study about um, what this sort of populism can actually result in in a very tangible way. Yeah, that the article by Wolf, I think, was timely. When I saw the headline, my heart sank, actually. And I think that is a lot of people's reaction, certainly here in the UK, to the whole bloody thing. Uh, we wish we weren't talking about it still. We hoped it had gone away because it's, it's depressing. Uh, for many people, it's boring. Uh, but the effects of Brexit are as real, if not more so, than they ever have been. And it's quite wrong to regard it as something that we just wish we could sweep under the carpet because its effects are going to be very, very long-lasting for as long as the eye can see, actually. And everybody from the ordinary 
person in the street to people like Keir Starmer, who also would rather not talk about it, it's quite wrong. Because when we try to think about what is going wrong in the UK at both an economic and therefore societal level, Brexit is a big part of what's going wrong. It's not the only thing. There are things going wrong that have been there since before the whole Brexit thing started. And I could talk a lot about underinvestment and all other economic factors driving the British economy into long-term decline. But Brexit is up there, front and centre, as a top of the list of factors contributing to Britain's malaise. You mentioned Martin Wolf and populism in the same sentence there, and you referenced what he had to say about that. And I think it bears repetition because the opening paragraph of his piece is extremely powerful and it serves as a useful reminder about what's going on in the UK. You referenced Germany, and of course it's happening in many other economies, societies as well. This is what Martin says. Populism is a potent form of democratic politics. Unfortunately, it is also a destructive one, weakening institutions, damaging debate, and worsening policy. It can threaten liberal democracy itself, the Brexit saga is an object lesson in the dangers. It has damaged what was long thought to be among the world's most stable democracies. And it has. And you you, you talked through some of the factors that, that have been described elsewhere. You talked about Peter Foster's book, which I have read. It's a fantastic book. But it is also an example of how the debate is conducted in this country. You have a very fact-based book it's relatively opinion-free. It deals in data. It deals in facts. And an awful lot of people reviewed that book very favorably, a bit like me. They said it was an absolutely fabulous read and really an antidote to that feeling that, oh, God, I wish we didn't have to think about Brexit anymore. It's, it, it explains why we do have to think about it more. And there are other people writing in similar vein. We talk to Chris Gray on this podcast a lot and his weekly blog is also a useful antidote to the idea that Brexit somehow or other has gone away. It hasn't. Uh, and it is front and centre of what is going wrong in, in Britain today. Unfortunately, Brexit, like, like a lot of these things, there are two aspects to it that, that are particularly bothersome. One is the way in which both sides hijack it for their own political ends. So claims and counterclaims are made about Brexit that bear no relation to reality, but somehow or other enter into the zeitgeist, into public consciousness. A small example of which yesterday we had an ex-first minister, prime minister of sorts of Wales, talking about the latest closure of a Welsh steelworks in a place called Port Talbot. We think it's going to result in direct losses of about 3,000 jobs and probably indirectly through multiplier effects of a lot more. And in, in a Welsh context, a country of just over 3 million people, that's a lot of jobs. It's incredibly serious. And the whole steel saga is interesting in its own right. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But Carwin Jones said about the closure of Port Talbot that it was all down to Brexit, which unfortunately is a Remainer attitude, which is just nonsense, which doesn't bear any relation to the facts and is an example of how, how things that are utterly unrelated to Brexit get hijacked for these political populists on both sides' purposes. So that's one aspect that bothers me, is the way in which it has been hijacked politically and the, the economics of it are not discussed properly. And relatedly, my second point is that Brexit is an incredibly complicated topic. And we, we right from the get-go, have never dealt with the complexities in a mature adult way. And 
the Welsh first minister, ex first minister, was doing exactly what I was talking about there. Going back to Peter Foster's book, it was interesting that no matter how many facts it contained, that the leavers, the Brexiteers, if you like, reviewed that book in a way that was incredibly disparaging. They played the man, not the ball. They had ad hominem attacks on the author. And I'll just cite one example, a guy called Daniel Hannan, Lord Hannan as he is now, ennobled by Boris Johnson, his mate, of course, who's been an ideological Brexiteer, as far as I can tell, all his life. If, if you want a description of how a particular class of people in the UK, typically Etonian, but always, generally always, public school educated Oxford graduates hijacked the UK. There's a book by a FT journalist called Simon Cooper, who writes about all sorts of interesting things, actually, called Chums. And Hannan features prominently in this as an ideologue, as somebody who was a very young man, became committed to Britain leaving the EU and fought a campaign for many, many years doing so. And it's a great study in how a small group of, uh, I would call them ideologically driven fanatics, have hijacked the British uh, debate, the British economy, and and the, the, the corridors of power, quite frankly, because they're still there. Rishi Sunak is part of this class, um, as is his chancellor, as are so many of his cabinets and Tory party colleagues. So yeah, the whole Brexit thing is there. It's, it's corrosive. The thing about Brexit, as you pointed about sunk costs there, an economic concept that many people don't really understand. Um, the post office scandal in the UK, which you may have heard about, is an example of people not understanding sunk costs. And Brexit is corroding the fabric of the UK economy, particularly for small and medium-sized enterprises. That's a key point about Wolf's article. It's just hard now for the SME sector to export to Europe. And, it, and if you think about, as Wolf does in his piece, about the decision about where you are now going to site export capacity in Europe, are you going to do it in a country that has free access to 27 countries, or are you going to do it in the UK where you have to set up paperwork, bureaucracy, agreements, rules, regulations that could be different 27 different times? You're not going to go to the UK, are you? So there are lots and lots of different things to this. So it's incredibly important to remember that boring though Brexit is, though it produces heart sink when we think about it, it is still a malaise that is affecting Britain, particularly economically, but also socially, politically, and the whole ideological political debate, Jim. You know, Wolf says that Brexit destroys the country's reputation for good sense, moderation and decency. And he said it was a classic populist blend of paranoia, ignorance, xenophobia, intolerance of opposition and hostility to constraining institutions. Um, and he goes on to say, which obviously is music to your ear, Chris, um, that the challenges confronting the UK had nothing to do with EU membership. It was due to inadequate infrastructure, low investment, poor corporate performance, huge regional inequalities and high income inequality. And he describes Brexit as a colossal distraction. On a more positive note, and, you know, Wolf has written about this a lot, um, you know, he, he does not believe Britain should now seek to rejoin the European Union, but he says that it is now incumbent on the political classes. And I think Herr Starmer um, is, re is going to be really important in this context, but he says it's really important that they improve the UK's relationship with the European Union, 
in areas like the movement of people, regulatory standards, particularly in food and manufactured products. He said that Britain should rejoin the customs union and that it should mend fences with the European Union. So I, I guess one hopes that will be the agenda of Kerr Starmer. But given the nature of UK politics at the moment, uh, you couldn't be certain about that. It, it was interesting. I, I came across a quote from Plato, uh, which is totally gender imbalanced. But anyway... You, you it, accuse me of having too much time on my hands, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, every book I mentioned you've read, and in, in fact, it's one of the greatest depressions in my life, actually, that I can't read all the books I want to read. Um, I'm reading, I'm just finishing Elon Musk's book at the moment, but in the middle of it, for purposes of my book club, I had to read Paul Lynch's Booker winner, uh, The Prophet's Song. Uh, but now I'm going to have to go and read Foster's book. But anyway, I guess that's a first world problem. But anyway, Plato's comment, Chris, was that the price good men pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. You know, that kind of says it all at the moment, that it's incumbent on sane, sensible people to get more involved in these issues. And it was quite heartening, actually, in Germany at the weekend. It is estimated that around 250,000 people were out on a protest march against the far right in Germany. Um, and I, I think it's it's really important to stand up to this stuff. Um, and in, in that context, and I think this is um, a neat segue into what's happening in the United States. We Can are, I just interrupt you there, Jim? Sorry, sorry about this. And I know that it drives you absolutely mad when I interrupt you like Chris, this. But... Yeah. But you, you, of course, this is now almost beyond cliche. It's been quoted so many times. But in this context, I think it is worth reminding ourselves of William Butler Yeats' poem, The Second Coming, which in a way reiterates the remarks that you just quoted there from Plato. And that, that poem, uh, The Second Coming, uh, applies to our politics generally across so many different dimensions, so many different countries, uh, the rise of populism in particular, uh, and also the Brexit debate. And I'll quote, things fall apart, the centre cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, the blood dim tide is loosed and everywhere, the ceremony of innocence is drowned, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I'm sure you know that poem well, Jim. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Anyway, I interrupted you. You, you did interrupt me. I was just get, getting on to Trump. Um, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday morning, and today... We have the New Hampshire primary, which is an incredibly important one because, um, you know, if, if, if Nikki Haley does not get a close result here, um, even a close defeat, I think she's out of the race. And then 
it's slam dunk for our friend Donald Trump. Um, and it is quite extraordinary. He apparently is 19 points ahead in opinion polls at the moment in New Hampshire. Um, this is a man who has had two impeachments, who has four criminal trials awaiting him, who has lawsuits for fraud and sexual assault. Um, and his indictments for accounting fraud, criminal election interference, the violations of the Espionage Act, extraordinary stuff. The worst are full of passionate intensity. Yes, indeed. I say it again. Indeed, indeed. And um, listening to what he's been saying about Nikki Haley, that if you want a losing candidate who puts America last, vote for Nikki. And she was an ambassador to the United Nations in the Trump chosen by Trump himself. Chosen by Trump himself, and it's 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 also fascinating that um, um, Ron, Ron DeSantis two years ago was being written up as the heir apparent, um, but obviously he bowed out of the contest this weekend, having spectacularly imploded and uh, displaying the fact that you know Darwin was wrong that evolution doesn't always go forwards, it sometimes go backwards. One of the things that I think uh, scientists describe about the evolution of life on this planet is when we first crawled out of the sea and some of our species or ancestors developed a backbone and invertebrates became vertebrates and we started walking on this earth, or at least some of some animals did. And it's quite clear that the Republican Party, DeSantis in particular, but all of them in general, are going backwards in that the idea that they have a backbone clearly is nonsense. But, but, but anyway, Chris, um, to return the favour, I'll interrupt you. Um, l- looking at the political analysis of DeSantis, um, it is reckoned by political analysts that what turned the tide on DeSantis was the when Trump was indicted for accounting fraud, criminal election interference and violations of the Espionage Act, that these were the events that actually blew DeSantis out of the water because it galvanized the Trump people uh, to really get behind their man. And, you know, the rest is history. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to see. Um, I could be totally wrong by the time this podcast is released. I may be proved wrong, but it's hard to see Nikki Haley actually uh, doing well in this, and we could be left this time tomorrow. Have you seen the first results from the uh, New Hampshire? Yeah, five, six, six six votes, six votes. Sorry, six votes all went to Nikki Haley. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that necessarily is statistically significant, as as they say. No, I don't. I don't think so. But it's it, it is quite an extraordinary story. And um, it's funny uh, listening to the RT or looking at the RT news last night. Uh, there was Trump on talking about DeSantis's um, leaving the race, and he was referring to him as Ron, and that he's a good guy. He ran a great campaign, and of course, he's now endorsing endorsing our team. So he's a great guy. That's the lack of backbone that I'm referring oh, to on the part it, of DeSantis. It, it is absolutely extraordinary, Chris. It it is extraordinary. Um, and for people living in the United States, uh, you know, this is deeply disturbing. Well, uh, DeSantis clearly has his eye now on four years' time. Yeah. And uh, in the expectation that Trump, having served his second presidency, will then constitutionally have to bow out. But one of the things that I have seen speculated upon, and it is only speculation, is that one of Trump's 
actions during his presidency will be to suspend that bit of the Constitution that says that you can only serve two terms and that President and Trump would like his mate Putin and his mate Xi Jinping to become president for life so that the three main blocks in the world, Russia, China and the United States, uh, effectively have dictatorships. That will be his uh, attempts anyway. Um, we sincerely hope and believe that he won't achieve that. But DeSantis, if Trump manages to become president, if Trump manages to become president for life, DeSantis's uh, hopes for four years' time may well be disappointed. Uh, the consolation here, Chris, is that Trump is 77 and he, he doesn't look like the most healthy individual. Uh, but, you know... Well, I wouldn't... I know that both neither of us would wish anybody ill, but it, it, as, as we said in our last podcast, the, the, the sight of these two, shall we say, near-geriatric old men uh, fighting over the leadership of the free world uh, is something that I think if you saw in a game show, you would think it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's mad stuff. It's absolutely mad. Chris, we, we um, have always threatened in this podcast and we haven't really delivered, but uh, because it does require a piece of work uh, to get more involved in investment markets and talk more about what's going on. OK, and I, I guess one of the constraints we have is that legally, Neither of the two of us can give investment advice, so we we always need to be extremely careful. But but I do think this is a theme that we should explore in greater depth and detail in this podcast going forward. Uh, but uh, to throw the ball in, um, I have been looking um, over the last couple of days at what's been happening, the price of gold, for example, and I have always believed. Um, in the old-fashioned investment principle of having a diversified portfolio, uh, both in terms of asset class, in terms of duration, in terms of geography, in terms of sector, etc., etc. So diversification is important, but I've always believed that gold should be part of an investment portfolio. And um, thankfully, I have some gold in my own pension fund. Uh, not enough, but I have some in there. But looking at the price of gold this morning, it's trading at $2,027 an ounce. Okay, this is down from an all-time high of around 2075 in December. But it's up 11.2% since November, and it's up 58.9% since March 2019. So... Um, it's it's an extraordinary performance. I think that actually has slipped under the radar into when you know investment markets are being spoken of. Yeah, I think a lot of people regard Bitcoin as the new gold, and is uh, that certainly gets more headlines. It too has done well, certainly in the back end of last year. Coming into this, the Bitcoin staged a massive resurgence, both instruments both investments and i use the term advisedly because i'm not convinced either are investments uh, in the classic sense of the term uh, are regarded as inflation hedges um empirically that's uh, true at times but not very often to be honest and i think that gold is one of those barometers that apart from some people thinking it's a it's a hedge against inflation it's also a hedge against geopolitical instability in a time of global war, for example, it is often said that you should buy tobacco and tin goods as the ultimate hedges against warfare. 
I'm laughing ironically, of course. Um, gold is the other instrument of choice during uh, heightened, shall we say, geopolitical tensions. And you and I have talked about 2024 being the year of geopolitics. And I think the gold price going up is entirely consistent with that. I think the other barometer of geopolitical tension for fairly obvious reasons, given where a lot of those tensions are arising in both Russia and in particular the Middle East, and the impact that has on oil prices, it's been noticeable that that barometer of global tension, the oil price, hasn't misbehaved in any significant way. It goes up and down depending on what's going on, but it hasn't broken out to the upside or the downside. It's been trading in a fairly narrow range. So it could be argued that the barometer of global instability that is the gold price is telling us that things aren't what they should be and that the world has become a much riskier place and people are buying gold as a hedge against something pretty dramatic happening geopolitically. I find that explanation reasonably compelling, actually. And uh, although I am not somebody that has ever owned gold or ever will, quite likely, I think you're probably quite sensible to have a little bit in your pension portfolio. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Chris, in, in terms of what's happening on bond markets in the last 12 months, it's been an incredibly volatile ride. You know, beginning of last year, okay, bond yields were higher than the all-time lows that were achieved a few years ago, but bond yields spiked dramatically up to the end of November and then as, or at the end of October anyway, and then as interest rate sentiment changed, bond yields came crashing down again. And for investors, it was a tremendous um, end to the year if you're in bonds. Uh, but bond yields on the way up again. Um, markets are re really skittish at the moment. Very. And, you know, we could talk endlessly about equity markets, for example. And you've got, on the one hand, China, plumbing new lows almost every day. The Chinese stock market has been an absolutely dreadful performer, mostly on the back of what the Chinese economy is doing. That correlation is clearly there. Uh, whereas you've got the US stock market currently trading at an all-time high. Uh, how do you make sense of that, particularly given my geopolitical risk concerns? If there is another barometer of global sentiment, if you like, it's the US stock market. It it's about 60% of the world's stock market. And if things are so risky or as risky as perhaps gold is saying that it is, why are US stocks at an all-time high? So it, 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 as you say, it's very skittish. Sometimes it's very hard to construct narratives that explain why markets are doing what they are doing. I think that we are far too focused on the interest rate and bond market outlook. I think that we are back to where we were many years ago where interest rates were reasonably positive. They went up a bit, went, went down a bit, but they didn't do too much. The extremes of interest rates going down to zero, those days are for now at least gone. And that we now start to think, need to start thinking about the other things. But the, the markets remain overly focused on central bank policies, on interest rates. Well, I think that's, that's where they're saying. And the reasons why they're skittish is that Every day, there's a piece of news that says, oh, interest rates are going to go down. Oh, interest rates aren't going to go down. Oh, interest rates might even go up again. And I think that's those are the short-term drivers of markets. And that's, that's the thing that's likely to continue, Jim. It doesn't make an awful lot of fundamental sense. But markets in the short term often don't. There's an, an age-old cliche that in the short term, markets are mere popularity contests, voting contests. But in the long term, they're weighing contests and what they weigh are things like company profits, the inflation outlook, 
the bond market outlook, that sort of thing. So I think that we're trying to describe short-term movements that essentially are just beauty contests in the old Keynesian sense. Great. Okay, Chris. Uh, listen, we'll call it there, uh, if I may. Um, good to talk again. Uh, something I want to get back to in our next podcast is a great piece that I would recommend anybody to read in today's Financial Times by Gideon Rackman about immigration. So I, I'd like us to have a bit of a discussion about that in the next podcast, along with lots of other stuff. So listen, Chris, good to talk again. Have a good day. Cheers, buddy. And you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.